0: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
1: The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world. It did sense. <laughs> Open the hot day doors man.
2: I'm sorry, Dan.
1: I'm afraid I can't do that. It's the most the lost
2: in the Go ahead. Make my day.
1: Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Black Hole Cinema. And this is a very special episode today, as it's a marvel Cinematic special to coincide with the imminent release of X Men Days of Future Past, a movie that has been forever, it seems, in the making. That is extremely exciting to anyone who's a fan of Marvel and the comics and the X Men films. Two gentlemen of whom I am privileged to have with me discussing all things Marvel. Let me first introduce the DC guy, that is (laughs) Mr. Ian Austin. Hello, sir. Bonjour. (laughs) Bonjour. And uh, joining us is probably a confirmed Marvel guy in Mr. Tom East. Hello. Hello. And thanks a lot, gents, for coming on to the Black Hole. We thought we'd talk, as I say, about all things cinematically Marvel. And to start off with, just a random question for both of you. What do you think is the best Marvel cinematic film so far? Captain America, so Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Why?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, it's the, I just think it's just the most fun I've had watching one of the movies by far, while also being, like, dramatically fantastic in yes, the can see forward.
1: I get that. I do get that. What about, what about you, Tom?
0: In my opinion, it's a draw between Winter Soldier... And the Avengers, which
1: I'm sure Ian would love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ian, Ian is Ian is infamously online a. Well, are you are you a hater of the Avengers, Ian? I don't know. Is that the is that the best word, or is it is that a bit too much? I think what it does, it does do decent
2: standards. It's not one particularly wanted to watch.
1: I think it's got more people who love the Avengers. I mean, I I I'm with I'm with Tom, if I'm honest. I think. I think it's the Avengers for me as well. I think more people did love it than not love it. But why what, what, what would you say the Avengers, Tom?
0: I don't know. I think it had the right mix of action with the character stuff and um, technical term, that character stuff. Mm. I just think it, it used the character it had on the whole. Well, there were a couple of occasions where they maybe could have used the meta, but I just think... I do know. It was just really fun to watch.
1: Mm. Yeah. It 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 did feel fun, didn't it? It did feel like it, you could tell that they were having fun and Joss Whedon was having fun, and that came out on the screen. I think I think actually to an extent the same can be said for the Winter Soldier because for me the Winter Soldier is the second best um, Marvel film that I've seen, certainly of that that universe. So I I I understand Ian why you've picked that because that mm-hmm. I think that was great. So I think you know the, the best ones are the ones where the love of what they're doing seems to leap out the screen really but yeah i just thought i'd start by asking you both your favorites so we can put into well, i might ask you what your least favorites are later but we can just put into context where you are on the spectrum of what kind of marvels you like
2: and you what kind you i just want you to say the avengers is not my least favorite there's some really bad marvel movies that no. Probably haven't been publicised very much. Like, the Doctor
1: Strange one from the 70s is so awful. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you should say that, because <laughs> that's, that's my next... That is my next point, right? I, I'm going to... And that's a great segue, so thank you, you've helped me there. Because, obviously, before we had the X-Men series, the Spider-Man series, things like that, they were doing Marvel films, or television films mainly, back in the day. And those are the ones that are the least well-known. I'll I'll rattle a few off, actually. Live-action films. There was a 1944 Captain America serial, which was... (coughs) Yeah, which was... Marvel wasn't even known as Marvel then. It was called Timely Comics. And then there was a 1989 The Punisher director video and a 1990 Captain America... Which was again director video in the US, and then finally a Fantastic Four that was unreleased. This was before the first one, which was Blade. Technically, was Blade 1998, but that was the first big Marvel film, technically that was released before we had the the real comic book renaissance start. Have any of you, any, either of you, ever seen any any of those old ones?
2: Um, yeah, I've seen Doctor Strange. I've seen the 1999 Punisher. Oh, I've seen that terrible Fantastic
1: Four movie. <laughs> oh no how bad how bad were they you know really how bad
2: the Puncture was actually really good I mean not based on comic much but it was really really fun to watch mm. um Doctor Strange um about first time starts seducing Nurse to like all music you just sort of start laughing you just <laughs> can't stop this over <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah cause that's um, from what I can see, that was 1978. That was, and it was a pilot episode for an unproduced series, uh, Doctor Strange series. And obviously, Doctor Strange, he's, he's over the next like maybe four or five years, we're going to have a massive Doctor Strange film, more than likely. So that he'll be a much more well-known character once once Marvel deal with him. But there was some, there were a few other television films as well. 1979, there was there was two Captain Americas, Captain America and Captain America Two: Death Too Soon, which which sounds brilliant. I'm so that...
2: angry about Captain America. I watched that one. It's just the worst adaptation of anything I've ever seen in my life.
1: Well, death too soon sounds like the subtitle of a Steven Seagal or a Chuck Norris film, doesn't it? Or something yeah. like that. <laughs>
2: it's, it's terrible. I mean, Tom, I, I think you should definitely watch that 1979 Captain America just to see what you should never do with Captain America, which is having driving a van for half an hour doing nothing super. <laughs> I'll have to watch it then It's just so,
1: so bad. Well Tom, it's now time to delete that scene from uh, your show of Captain America driving a, a white van around Yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, so I know, I know that was your favourite scene of, uh, of your series but <laughs> it's got to go mate It really was, it really
0: was you know, 30
1: whole pages, just him driving and driving <laughs> You know, what's not
0: to love about
1: that? Getting stuck in a traffic jam you know? Yeah. Brilliant. That's the episode where uh, he comes to London, obviously. Um, yes. <laughs> I've just finished that one. Yeah, yeah good. Excellent. Yeah. But uh, after that, there was um, a bunch of Incredible Hulk TV series, uh, t- revival attempts of the old st- uh, TV series. There was The Incredible Hulk Returns, The Trial of The Incredible Hulk, and The Death of The Incredible Hulk. They were all the late 80s. Ian, have you seen any of those? I've
2: got the trial one with Daredevil somewhere. I haven't actually watched it. <laughs> you haven't, i haven't been
1: brave it's enough. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: want to see Daredevil suffering more than he really has, to
1: be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Famously, I think the most... Possibly the most famous one of all of these on the TV side was the Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. 1998 pilot episode with David Hasselhoff <laughs> as Nick Fury. <laughs> which... I, I have actually seen uh, bits of, and oh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I
2: mean, that's in keeping Nick through from the 70s, so in some ways it is a facial adaptation, mm. just with the wrong actor in like yeah. 20
1: years too late. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it, imagine if they'd have actually made the series with Hasselhoff as as Nick Fury. It makes you wonder if they'd ever got to the point where anyone would take anything Marvel seriously ever again and they would be able to do what they do today. <laughs> really. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying thought. Tom, have you ever seen Hasselhoff in that, in that role?
0: I haven't. I haven't. I've kind of avoided it. I've heard of it, but I thought, you know, I don't want to taint my mind by watching
1: it. <laughs> you don't want to imagine that well-known Baywatch Marvel hybrid, which everyone obviously has been waiting for all their life. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think, how obviously none of these, probably because they were fairly cheap, you know, and, and and quite low rent, that they never got any kind of traction and people never discovered Marvel before. Because it's fair to say, I mean, I, I count myself in this. Yeah, I mean, you guys know I'm not a big comic book guy. I've read very few comics to be honest, but I love superhero movies, I love comic book movies on the screen, and that's really how I've discovered all these characters, and I think there's a lot of people like me who have discovered Marvel through the movies, and I know you both have been reading comics a long time. Do you think that, on the whole, they do the comics justice, really?
0: I think what always gets me about the superhero movies and the people that watch them is when they complain that... Um, stuff in the stuff in the movie adaptions is different and I think you need to look at them as they're not literally just like the comics on screen, they're to exist kind of beside the comics and mm. take stuff from them and then kind of do their own twist because I think if you were just watching like what was on the page on the screen I think you'd get a bit boring So I think that a lot of them are actually faithful and rightly so I think you kind of need the original spin to bring them onto the screen. I mean, what you see on the page isn't always going to work on the screen. Like, the, the brightly coloured spandex and stuff with the X-Men doesn't work on screen. So, um, I think on the whole, like, the movies have kind of opened it up to people who probably wouldn't read comics in the first place. So, I think that's kind of what's so good about having the movies there.
1: It's interesting yeah. you should mention the spandex there, actually, because I, I watched X-Men, a few days ago because I'm, I'm starting I'm re-watching them all and one of the comments was made that they considered using the yellow spandex and then they did think to get the tone what we, we want we can't use the spandex because it's just too gaudy it's too in your face and they, they ended up making a joke about it in the film just to reference the fact that that spandex was the original costume so to comic book fans the kind of black and blue kind of you know form fitting thing that we see in the films obviously isn't the X-Men that they know or someone like you, Ian, you know, who's read this stuff, you wouldn't know. That's not what it is to you, is it? I've got to be
2: honest. I think that that lever works much better in movie than words. because they're not in movies. The X Men aren't superheroes. They're not like progressively stopping crime. Like they stop Magneto. They don't go out and break up muggins. So mm. they don't. And also, I think that what Tom was saying makes a lot of sense because it's things like when I watch the Avengers, I'm not a huge fan of it, but in terms of the whole that they've got in that, it's by far the best of any medium, TV, comics, animated I've ever seen. Like in Iron Man, same thing. So I think the movies, in some ways, do a much better job of compartmentalising the characters down to a to do a very slim description. It's like if you say to someone, "This is what Iron Man is from movie." You could do it in one line. You know, we we'll would mm. go, yep, yeah, I've got that. Whereas the comic books, you'd have to take a long time trying to explain why he suddenly can control anything metal with his mind. So, uh, yeah, I think the movies do a far smarter job of hooking people who wouldn't normally watch them into watching them. Whereas the comics don't do a very good job getting new people to read them because they're so dense.
1: Well, that that's one thing that I've always wondered as somebody who, as I say, doesn't really read comics, can can you, re- and can you really adapt a comic, as written in a comic, for the cinema screen? Because, I mean a classic example of when this topic was really discussed was when Heroes was on television, and Heroes famously for a lot of people went off the rails, because they they did, by all accounts, try and make it like a comic book on screen, you know, they tried to do that kind of format, and it caused a bit of, I know there were some people who loved heroes, but there was there, there were there was some consternation among certain people that they couldn't translate it into that format. So do you think really a comic can't in a way be adapted? Or do you think that it's just the case that you've got to you've got to do the tweaks, you've got to ad- adapt and do things differently?
2: I mean I think heroes can say it's best when ripping off X Men to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Basically, shamelessly ripping off every X-Men
0: story ever made. And mm. When he came up with his own stuff, it was terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I would I would say that when you put it onto the screen, you do need to make those tweaks. Because, I mean, if you take, like, the, st- the comics that they can anyway to adapt, like, in the case of X-Men The Last Planet it took the Dark Phoenix saga and Days of Future Past took the Days of Future Past saga. And, those comics are like really quite dated now so you would need to update them anyway and even Winter Soldier's a fair bit old and wouldn't fit into the universe they built so I think there are a lot of, like you take a lot of that story but you do need to fill it with a lot more with a lot of new stuff for people who have read the comics so that there's something fresh for them as well as well as making it you know work for the movie series.
1: It's it's kind of trying to uh, I suppose it's a usual thing. It's appeasing both camps, isn't it, really? It's giving it's giving comic book readers something that they are going to love, that they've always wanted to see unfold, and it's giving a way in for new people like me, who will fall in love with the characters in the world, but not, but for whatever reason don't want to read all the comics. So, yeah, I suppose it's, it's tricky, though, isn't it? It's a tricky balance. And they don't all get it right, do they? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in fairness. Which leads me on to... Talking about really where, where it all began, because obviously we've had all these old, you know, translations and things like that that have had very little money, but it was really only Blade, in as as I previously mentioned, Blade in nineteen ninety eight, where the money started coming in and they started actually putting cash down and really going for this. And that obviously was the beginning of the birth of the Marvel Studios production house. But at the beginning of the yeah, it was Blade. And then really the, two, the the one of the, the big, there were two big franchises. X Men. We'll talk about the X Men franchise a bit later, but Spider Man was the was the big one, wasn't it? Really, the Sam Raimi Spider Man trilogy was the one that I think that really started to put Marvel, especially, on the map, weren't they? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> why do you th- why do you think that is? I mean, what why what what did what did Spider apart from the fact he had a lot of money? What was it about Spider-Man? Of course, Spider-Man ended up being produced not by Marvel Studios, but it's a Marvel property. What do you think What the key was with the Spider-Man trilogy that um, that, that struck a chord?
0: I I think that it's, um, it's because of the character as well. Like, the character was always a popular comic character, but then if you look at Peter Parker himself, he's quite a relatable character in his essence. Like He's the guy who's always overlooked and doesn't really stand out. Mm. So I think when you take a character like that who a lot of people can relate to, you know, make him super. And, I mean, the first movie itself wasn't so complicated. It had quite a simple plot for a superhero movie, especially in comparison to later movies. And I think it was uh, that kind of mix of of a good character, a plot that wasn't, you know, overly complicated. And it was big in a way that a lot of the earlier production, earlier superhero productions weren't. So I think that's why a lot it appealed
1: to a lot of people, and why it started its own trilogy. Mm. Even though that trilogy is is considered a mixed bag now, isn't it? Really, in terms of you know the 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 the, the wave of general opinion seems to say Spider Man two Spider Man good Spider Man two really good Spider Man three terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah, I mean I would subscribe to that. I would I would agree, but. I know it's not the case for everybody. The people, you know, there are there are Spider Man three apologists out there, and for what, for better or worse, it made it made good money, and it it continued the, you know, the trend of people seeing these as big event pictures, really. And I think without that Spider Man trilogy, in part, we wouldn't be where we are today, would we? No,
2: no definitely not. I think that, but I think Spider Man three is The idea is fantastic. It's just like. It's just too big. Mm. I mean, uh, if you narrow it down to Peter versus Harry or Peter versus Sandman, it's a great two-hour movie. But they throw them in for some reason, despite he doesn't do anything, mm. and he just overcomplicates. It. I mean, you talk about too many villains. That one had like two villains, too many. I mean, is it is that a I haven't seen laser spider-man 2 yeah. yet but I've heard a lot of people say it's got the same problem it throws two main villains at the screen and it's hard to really have any a particularly good story
1: well I, I, I would say as someone who has seen it I would say that it doesn't quite do that in the in the way that spider-man 3 does it does I mean, it's got. It technically does have three villains, but one of them is in it for five minutes for a start. Whereas in Spider Man three, they were all in it a lot, and you did get the feeling of, well, hang on a minute, who's the who's the bad guy? You do know who the bad guy is, really, in Spider Man two. The only thing is that by the end, a bigger bad guy has swooped in and starts stealing the limelight. Really, that's that's all it is. It's, it is a different. It is a different approach, and for all I, I personally feel, Amazing Spider-Man Two is a very mixed bag. I think it's far better than Spider-Man Three in how it handles villains. Tom, you've seen it, haven't you?
0: Yes, I what,
1: have. Well, what, what do you think?
0: Um, I definitely agree with you. I think that um, it handles the villains a lot better than Spider-Man Three did. Mm. And personally, I actually really liked um, Amazing Spider-Man Two, and I think I don't think the villain situation is really a problem. I think they. All three of the villains had different intentions, and they, their relationship to Spider-Man was very different, and that made like the showdowns quite different. Mm. But I can see why some people like view it as a fairly mixed bag. personally, I actually really liked it. I don't think it was as good as the first movie, but I still think it's quite a good, uh, really quite a good superhero movie. Yeah,
1: mm, I, I agree. I think I think the first Amazing Spider-Man. Is the is the best of those two and I, I I personally feel the amazing spider-man is the second best of all of them all five now. And I would I
0: would disagree that I would say the amazing spider-man is the best
1: spider-man film hmm. Sure. yeah <laughs> well you, yeah but you won't be on your own I think I think there'd be a lot of people who'd put amazing spider-man and spider-man 2 at the top on flip them around at various points really a lot a lot of people but it's be, it's because they're very that you know they're so different tonally, and mm. but bo- both of these these different uh, well I mean it will be a trilogy the Amazing Spider-Man trilogy but tonally they they have got a lot of differences although one of the one of the reasons that I disliked Spider-Man two the Amazing Spider-Man two more was because it felt more like a Raimi film and I don't feel that apart from Spider-Man the irony is Spider-Man two didn't feel as Raimi as the others and the Amazing Spider-Man two felt as Raimi as Spider-Man and Spider-Man (laughs) three for me anyway. And I think that's why it didn't, it didn't do it for me fully. But I think that the tone is a big thing because those Spider-Man films, they had that balance of the, the over the top comic book silliness, but also the fact that you really would invested in Peter Parker and the character. And I think that's, I'd say that is the big, big key to why comic book films have really developed and grown, isn't it? Because it's not you can put all the this, the silliness and the gloss and the exp- and the, you know the everything up on the screen. You've got to you've got to feel the characters, haven't you? And you've got to feel the performances and things like that.
2: In that regard, I don't get why people rate Spider Man two apart from out of was stopped up with the doctor- Like. Kirsten Dunst in that movie is so unlikable and scary mm. it's a bit where she runs out with J.J. Jameson's son in a wedding dress while it's like legs flaring off her face she's smiling and I'm like what a bitch <laughs> I mean it's just that's, that's actually what I like more about Amazing Spider-Man is Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy is just mm. like so much better at that role than the comic book character yeah. Could yeah. possibly be to mm. the point where I, I yeah, I, I was hesitant with some of the things I heard about Spider Man, the Amazing Spider Man, 2 because she's far too good to sort of not be in these movies for like five to ten years. I mean, mm. she's just outstanding as far as I'm concerned.
1: I, I entirely agree. But it's 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 interesting how yeah, and I think I think that's another thing. The, the characters, you know, one of the. One of the big things I think people have said about Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 is that you feel the relationship between Peter and Gwen fantastically. And for me, it's the best thing about both of those films. You know, they, you can tell they're an off-screen couple as well. They have the amazing chemistry. <laughs> Pardon the pun, but they do. They have amazing chemistry. Yeah. And and that wasn't, for me, that wasn't there in the in the original Spider-Man trilogy, but it's got such a, a following. It made such a lot of money and it made such a, an impact that it led to a great deal of of, of what followed and there, there was a period though wasn't there really where we got a lot of overblown you know fairly silly um, blockbusters didn't we you know there were things like the, the Fantastic Four films and Ghost Rider and and X-Men Origins and things like that and they were oh, God. yeah and, and they just they felt very like they were taking all the Spider-Man scene but they had no for me they had no tether they had no emotional connection I don't know What do you guys feel that or
2: I think apart from Jane Foster and complete lack of chemistry I think Marvel cinematic ones have just done such a good job the relationships mm. yeah. I mean Peggy Carter and Captain America was fantastic I mean Tony Stark and Pepper Potts is just even better to be honest mm. so yeah I think they've done a
1: much better job with
2: relationships now because
1: mm. it, fe- it felt like with those you know your fantastic fours and things like that and and it felt like it was just a lot of stuff going on i suppose what i'm suppose what i'm saying is were they too comic book you know were they, were they were they too much in the in the spectrum of you know it's it's over the top it's overblown it is like a an art, a, a splattering of art on the screen or you know is that is that what it was i don't know
0: well i've only seen the first fantastic one Fantastic Four movie that should yeah. not have been so hard to say um, <laughs> once and I remember really liking it but it came out in like 2004 didn't it? Mm, or something yeah like that. something like that yeah. so I was 10 years old <laughs> and that's my defence for liking it but I do remember it being very comic booky. I I don't know I think um, those kind of films they film more too ten year olds, mm. which I think is why well, pair liked it so much. But when you're when you're older and you're looking back at these films, you think, wow, this actually was like really bad. Mm. But I think by making those films too comic booky, they are kind of limiting the audience of who's actually gonna like it. Whereas the Marvel Cinematic Universe films have done a better job of Aiming them towards everyone, really, than just you know making them too silly and limiting who's actually going to enjoy them.
1: Well, it's interesting because that, that yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's interesting that before the Marvel un- Cinematic Universe kind of tethered it all together, for the most part, you had kind of different levels of of Marvel films. So there was there was the the the, the silly Fantastic Four kind that were more geared towards, as you say, ten year olds, little kids. You had then. The opposite end of the spectrum, your blades and your punishers that were aimed much more at grown ups and more bloody and violent. I mean, the blade films are you know carnage and blood everywhere, especially Blade Two. You know, and that so they're you know completely on the other end of the spectrum. But then in the middle, you had things that that it was things like Daredevil and Hulk. The first Hulk, the Ang Lee Hulk, that, that were trying to be, I think, what the Marvel Cinematic Universe ended up being, but they didn't get the formula right, I don't think. I mean, Ian, what, Daredevil's a big one for you, isn't it? Because you're you're a big Daredevil guy. I mean, what what, what did you think of that film, the Ben Affleck film?
2: I think it work much better as a TV show. Yeah, I think that's just Daredevil in general. He's it's a bit like Flash and Arrow in that he's got so many stories and that doing a two hour movie about them doesn't really work mm. it's he's not about action set pieces he's very much a character scene sort of character like very slow dramatic four or five six episode plots and boy convoy- combining one job on payoff rather hey let's have Ben Affleck and Joe Garner piss about and swings for four minutes
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I've seen, I've seen it, and it was, it felt like it was, it was trying to aim at a certain level, and in a different way to Ang Lee's Hulk, but it just, it just didn't quite have all the components, and I, I, I to this, I don't know why. I mean, I, I really don't know why that is. And it's that you could say the same about the Hulk film, you know, because the Hulk film really tried to be more than just a big silly whiz bang blockbuster because Ang Lee obviously is a very art house you know kind of director you know he he, he knows how to direct action but it's very very quiet and you know drama driven but then you've got things like the that well in fact probably one of the most well known moments where Hulk's out in the desert and he gets the tank and he just flings it round and throws it at the army that's, that's brilliant you know it's just like there was, that, there was nothing that good in the Incredible Hulk the second one so it that felt like it was almost there that Ang Lee Hulk
2: I think it's a flawed masterpiece because there are parts in it which are as good as any comic book movie I've seen mm. and then there are parts that really aren't very good like the entire ending where I still to this day do not understand how he beats his dad like, yeah. like I have no one's he absorbs he uses some sort of materials his dad becomes cardboard or something but mm. I, I just don't understand what happens in the last 10 minutes of that movie <laughs>
1: Yeah, not very, not well thought thought through fully. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's the thing, you know. That's I think why when we did finally get to the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe, by then they had managed to balance the thinking everything through and getting the characterisation and the and the plots right, kind of knowing that they were going to tether into the same world. I mean, I, it, I, it's not a complete success. I mean, I, I I love I love what they've done over the last six years so far by and large but I think that they you know to say that they've got everything right isn't true really but I think on the whole they've pretty much they've pretty much got there you know from from the beginning I mean I don't know what you guys think I mean Tom what do you think do you think from I mean Iron Man was really the one that started it do you think since then it's you know it's developed it's grown in a good way but by and large I think
0: it started strong with Iron Man, but then, I mean, the next two films, like Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2, I'd say, are not great. Mm. But I think from... It really kind of hit its strife with Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger. And I think since then, since Avengers especially, it's kind of really kicked in and become, like, unmissable cinema to the point where everyone's talking about it, everyone wants to see it. And I think it was Iron Man that started it off and I think maybe that little stumble could have thrown people up a bit I know I didn't see I saw Iron Man in the cinema and I didn't see any of the four others until the Avengers Mm. I mean I saw right before Avengers I watched Thor and Captain America because I was curious Mm. and I've never actually seen anything with their characters before but I think it really became a big big thing with the Avengers and since then it's, every single release has kind of been this huge deal do
1: you think maybe that the secret to it because arguably you know it's, it that this universe is the biggest comic book success ever in film so far do you do you think that it's because it is a shared tethered universe and people know ...that it's all building... ...obviously it built to the Avengers... ...and now it's building back up to the next Avengers... ...and things like that... ...do you think it's because people know... ...that it is an interconnected web... ...and it's not going to be... ...falling into the trap of... ...oh okay we'll reboot it again in a few years... ...or we'll... ...you know we'll retell that story... ...which is a problem that DC have... ...right now in many ways... ...do you feel do you feel that's <laughs> yeah. what it is?
2: I think even me... ...who doesn't particularly like the Avengers... ...or Iron Man 3... ...or 4 or 2, Green, that what they've done is just so fantastic in, like, every conceivable way. I mean, they've now basically started their own... They have their own comic book movie side project at this point. is not... Like, I love DC Comics, but they're not even in the same game at the moment. Mm. And, like, you know, he, he, the worst Marvel movie is at least a consistent product in line with all the other ones. With Man of Steel, you're watching like, how are you going to bring Batman into this? I mean, I know they're going to, but it's just a joyless, soul-sucking, awful, in every possible way, attempt to restart a franchise. I mean, you That's watch really Captain like America 2. <laughs> He's just perfect in terms of how they get can the character. And you watch Superman, so like... Oh man, I would save my dad, but people might see me. I don't want people to see me. It's like you—you you have super mm. How are you not saving your dad? And he's just like, <laughs> "Don't, don't save me, boy. <laughs> don't, don't let people see who you are." It's like, oh my god, why are you doing this?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, Tom. You you say you say you like Men of Steel. Now uh, I know we're diverting into DC, but there is there is a point to this. I'm going to get to what what is it? What is it? about Man of Steel that, that you defend in, in just out of curiosity? I'm not even
0: really sure why I liked it. I just went in, I like, really enjoyed it. It was you didn't really have to think that much. So it was kind of just <laughs> you go in, you know, there's um some really attractive lead actors in this film. There are explosions and they're superheroes. And then I came out and I was entertained, which is what a film should do. Mm. So It's a bit mindless, and I'm not a DC person. I've never ever read a DC comic or watched any of the shows or anything. So, uh, beside what was Superman Returns? Is that the 2006 one? Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Besides that, this was the only DC thing I've ever watched. So, um, in comparison to Superman Returns, I think it was a fucking masterpiece.
2: <laughs> I think Tom was the target audience of Mouse Steel, I really do Yeah, target audience <laughs> well, I mean of one. I don't mean, I mean that's a criticism, Tom, I mean that's a compliment because I, I think they shouldn't be aiming at people who are big fans of comic books. I think they should be aiming at people who, are, who will actually pay money to see these movies. Like, people like me would not have got Man Steel to $690 million. <laughs> So yeah, I think I'm, I'm actually really pleased and it because you know it means hopefully that you'll go see Batman vs Superman. And eventually, Superman might smile on screen again. Some. <laughs> well, the cru- <laughs> they make enough movies; he has to
1: at some point. So the crucial thing there, and that—that's an interesting thing you said again. You said they didn't make Man of Steel for me because I'm a fan. Now, Marvel fans, obviously. Are watching this cinematic universe but is the reason that where Man of Steel in many people's eyes failed and where um, some of these DC films, the, the, the Christopher Nolan Batmans aside, but for most people but why Man of Steel and some of these like Green Lantern and things like that aren't working for a lot of people, is it because the Marvel cinematic universe has managed to get that alchemy right of the newbies like me like it, right <laughs> but it also appeals to the Marvel guys who have been waiting for it all their life whereas obviously with Man of Steel it didn't do that for everybody is, is, that, is that consistency, is that level, the reason that it's, it's it's capturing so many people
2: I think it's also Marvel I think Marvel's genius is they also simplify I everything. Mean, that's not insult, it's more like they, they, they pare it down like Chris Nolan did with Batman where it's all like to the absolute nature of the character and then they make movie where man still was yeah um, we don't really want to have Superman being happy and cheerful so we're gonna make him a bit more introspective and I think where Marvel succeeds is as Tom said their movies generally are just they, they might have good stories and good characters but they're just fun. Like the Avengers for all my criticisms, like F1 I've talked to mostly has come out of comments like it was just a fun movie I enjoy watching these characters hang out for two and a half hours and I'm like Marvel's figure out you know it doesn't have to be more complex and we get these characters we give them two quips, we give them two action sequences and then that's
1: it because the other thing as well is that to an extent I would say that the DC comic world is if anything is more well known to an extent in mm. the sense that you know, all, all of these Avengers characters. Ten years ago, I I wouldn't be able to tell you who Thor was or Black Widow or you know I I knew who the Hulk, I knew who the Hulk was I vaguely knew who Iron Man was. Yeah, Black you're Widow. You obviously
2: knew who, who Spider Man was. Yeah, was yeah, yeah the, sure, yeah. I, the big ones. Yeah, Captain America yeah. was sort, but not then really, well, yeah. So Captain Seenless? America,
1: Captain America, I vaguely knew as well. Somebody, but but oh. you know, I grew up having barely ever read a comic of them, but I grew up knowing and loving Superman and Batman and the Joker and all of these characters and, you know, all these characters in that DC world. And so if anything, I think to people who aren't into comic books, DC is the bigger comic, is the more well-known comic book world. So it's strange how Marvel have been the ones who've made the biggest success. And now, arguably, thanks to the movies, Captain America, Iron Man, for, are as big to some extent as Batman and Superman they're, they're as well to a, a whole generation of young young kids especially they're going to be as well known now yeah. and iconic so to to do that is a is a such a, a an ex, a success you know and such an achievement really in such a short space of time as well I don't know if you guys agree with that I, I, I agree
0: um, before like Iron Man came out I'd never heard of Iron Man even before Captain America came out I'd only, like, briefly heard of him. I've never really paid him any attention. He was just a dumb guy with a shield. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Funny how that worked out. Um, mm. (laughs) And, like, Superman and Batman were the superheroes that you you kind of knew Like I never personally paid them much attention either. X-Men was always my thing when I was Mm. growing up. But I'd say now, the Marvel films have kind of made these Superheroes, you know, they bumped like the B and C listers up to A list. Yeah. Now even even Black Widow and Hawkeye, like the two in the MCU that are kind of sidelined a lot, even Hawkeye is kind of like been bumped up to C or B list, and hopefully when Black Widow gets her own bloody film, she will be more recognised as well because I think she's getting there with Winter Soldier, and, you know, being the co lead, but I think. I think that's what I want to see next. I want to see Marvel bump one of the female characters up to that A list, like they've done with so many male characters already. Mm, that would um, be Black
2: Widow, what I heard was she's like the joint lead in Avengers Two, or maybe not joint lead, but she gets she's going to be quite a big character in it. So you might they might just use that and then say. Oh yes, coincidentally, Black Widow's come down in 2017, and you're like, "Yay, a Black Widow
1: movie before Wonder Woman!" <laughs> it, it, yes. it, yeah, it, it's more than likely going to be, or it could be, mm. and it's it is remarkable. That is really remarkable. But you you mentioning the X Men was your favourite, Tom, neatly gets us onto the the other the other big side of 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 the the, the instigation of of all, of all this comic book stuff because it's arguably. And obviously we're on the verge of Days of Future Past about to be released. But arguably, the X-Men franchise has, pl- has played as big a part as your Spider-Man franchise in setting up, tonally, this, this, this opening door of the comic book world. I mean, X-Men, the first X-Men was 2000. That was the first one that was before Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And that, that, that was only the second Marvel movie to have a big budget and to and to come out and to do all this now I mean that really it's really X-Men that set the tone isn't it in a way in many ways for what was to come
2: I agree with that I think where X-Men succeeded was basically as good as the first movie was casting Patrick Stewart and McCallum after that mm. the movie just worked I mean it was just their first confrontation in that movie, you just relaxed and thought, yeah, this is going to be a very, very good movie. Even, everything this is awful. Just seeing these two actors square off for like 90 minutes.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I was, I was six when the first one came out, so I don't exactly remember that, but I remember when X-Men 2 came out, I went to see it with a bunch of my school friends. And I remember the reason we all went to see it was because we'd all kind of grown up watching the Fox Kiss um X Men cartoon. And that was why, like, for my entire group and I'm pretty sure for like everyone of my age at that time, we'd grown up with that and the Spider Man cartoon series. So those were kind of those were the heroes that we knew and that we wanted to see in on in the cinema. So like when we saw when we saw those films it was kind of like the big event because it was kind of moving them up from just cartoon heroes to people like to live action heroes and that was why it was like kind of so exciting for us and why why we kind of that whole generation got into superhero films i think because they were what we'd grown up with and then suddenly it was even bigger and even better than what we already knew so that's why x-men was always like my kind of thing when i was growing up yeah especially that
2: does that make you feel really
0: old Tony because
2: I remember seeing X-Men 2 yeah. in a cinema bar with a of beer
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
2: I was still like oh yes I was I was 8
1: years old when I saw it and I was like Jesus Christ I was 18 when I saw it I, I'm, I know same here I'm reminded of that line in uh, I think it's Star Trek Generations where Captain Kirk turns around to Picard and says I was flying around the galaxy when your grandfather was in diapers I'm reminded of that. That's how I feel talking to Tom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. I saw I saw the first X-Men. I think I saw it at the cinema actually as well. And it was uh, I I mean I I still like it even to this day. I think I think it's a bit too short and I think it, it it feels more like a trailer for everything else to come for the second film in a way, but I think it was I think it really blended everything together really nicely and managed to be quite fun and a little bit frolicky at times, while being having a certain gravitas to it, and I think you're right, when, Ian, when you say it was about Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen being cast because that that made a big that big difference. It added that Shakespearean feel almost to the whole thing, and that's something I think that a lot of the comic book world took on, and that's why they they often get in actors, don't they, who are not traditionally cheesy and things like that, to actually play these. I mean, like Anthony Hopkins in Thor, you know. Really add that. so awful. Yeah, yeah, but he's got. He's
2: a great actor, but he's. I mean, he just. Every time I watch four, and I send Hopkins, and he's
1: barking like a dog, I just think he does
2: not
1: care. No, he doesn't know. That's the thing with Anthony Hopkins now. He's given up. He he's yeah, not bothered exactly. I mean if you just watch Noah for proof of that Noah he's, he's just turned up on set and gone I'm going to be Anthony Hopkins today but I'm going to have a beard he's just he's brilliant he, he just doesn't care so it's like but at the it same time make,
2: it just makes me so angry sorry to interrupt you that Brian Blessed did not play Odin before <laughs> Anthony Hopkins I'm like Brian Blessed. Yes. We'd not care either, but at least he would make a funny job
1: of it. Thor's alive. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. Yeah, it's true really. But you know, it, it I think it triggered I think without that kind of X Men gravitas between those two, I don't think you would have you would have got it as maybe as much in, in comic books. So I think it I think it really it really did a good job there in setting a lot of stuff up and then X two really took that along, didn't it? I mean, funnily enough, I, I'm I'm am i I'm rewatching X two tonight. After we talk about this, actually, I've got that's on the plan. And mm-hmm. I, I found first time I ever watched, and I've watched it maybe twice. First time I ever watched X two, I found it to dragging. Strangely, I found it dragged. It, oh. it was my, le- I know it was my least favorite X Men film. But <laughs> honestly, I genuinely, and, and I'm including X Men three in that. I know least favorite. I know, I know. How dare! You. I know X
2: Men Origins Wolverine. Or no, actually he actually he no, 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 actually, no, no,
1: no. Actually, no. Sorry,
2: this include the Last Stand. Yes, yeah, it does.
1: Tony, totally, that's that's pretty. Like I know. He, he me and Tom, and the Avengers, we're both like seriously listening through this worst, It 3? doesn't. It, it doesn't include uh, Origins Wolverine. That's that's terrible. That's, and I, I, do you know what? I genuinely believe that my opinion will change now. Now, years later, I honestly think I will watch X two and I'll get a lot more out of it. And yeah, when I watch X three, there's not
2: Brian yeah. in
1: it. Yeah, I know. Um, I honestly, I really do think that I will turn around and say, yeah. Uh, I was wrong first time around I, I really do I really really do I don't know what it was the first time around that really made me not feel it do you feel? obviously you two guys much more strongly believe the general consensus that that is the best X-Men film to date what do you think?
0: I think what's so great about X2 is that it has it does have a really large cast and it kind of does an effective job I'd say maybe apart from Cyclops of giving all of those different heroes something to do I mean Storm Jean and Nightcrawler off at at one bit and then you've got Wolverine with um, Rogue and Iceman and the amazing amazing mansion fight scene which I absolutely adore and they go off there and then you've got Xavier and Cyclops having been captured and it's all spread out and then it all comes together when Magneto and Mystique come in yeah. And it just uses all of its parts so well and it concludes really, really well and I remember everyone, when I went to see it in the cinema, everyone being like really shocked but then really excited for the next one because it sets yeah. it up perfectly and then the next one fucks everything up. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: And also, you, you see, my favourite thing in almost any comic book movie is the opening investment too with Nightcrawler. Yeah, that is I remember that seeing is really that good. in Sigma and I just, yeah. I just, my eyes were just bugging out. I can't couldn't believe they pulled that
1: off so perfectly. It was just amazing. Yeah, I, I I remember that. I thought I I always thought that was great. I I I, yeah. I agree. And it's you say it, the, the the last stand obviously fucked it all up. And that's a big reason for that. Obviously, is because Brian Singer went off and did Superman Returns instead. And he, you
2: fucked up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. To, to an
1: extent. Yeah. And he uh, <laughs> and then he obviously it's a decision he now regrets which is the main reason that he's he's doing days of future past in order to retcon X-Men 3 out of existence which is which is his reason really i mean well i think that's what we'll find you know yeah. um so what was so bad about X-Men 3 then
2: i think it's it's what you saying about X-Men the first one it it was a two hour maybe two and a quarter hour movie that took like an hour and 40 to finish, so they just rushed through everything. Mm. Uh, Jean decides for 20 minutes, despite the fact that she's the most powerful mutant that's ever existed, she's has been standing in back around while Magneto does things. The, the US Army finally realizes they shoot Magneto with plastic bullets, he can't deflect them. Yeah. <laughs> and Magneto's just like, oh my god, I can't believe I didn't think they might use plastic against me. <laughs> I don't think it's good, but I think it is fun in a way. It's just, after how good X-Men 2 was, I sort of expected more than... Mm. This isn't bad, this is amusing, but, like, you know, I can see Beast jumping down the
0: wires and it's making me really depressed. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly say, the one thing I did enjoy about X-Men 3 was that they finally used Kitty Pride because like, she's yeah. such a great character, and they should have just... Brought her in earlier, and I'm glad they're using her again. Days, of Future, Past. But oh, yes. my main reason for hating The Last Stand goes all the way back to why I liked the animated series so much, and the games, and the first exo films, and that was because I really enjoyed the character of Rogue. And I know there's been a lot of people who don't like Anna Paquin's portrayal of her. It's great, but yeah, I don't um, get that either. Mm. But when I when I watched the first one, she's she Rogue and Wolverine are the characters that bring you into that universe and then X Men two kind of expands her around and puts her with Iceman. And then X Men three just fucks everything up with yeah. her. They just they take all the all the fun that could have come out of the character that they have in like the animated series and the comics where she becomes this confident mm-hmm. confident woman with vulnerable with a vulnerable side and with using her powers for you know, something better. And in X-Men 3, they just kind of summer away. And just, they literally just turn her into the whiny love interest character. And it just messes everything up. And I think that's the one thing about Days of Future Past that I'm just a bit pissed off about, because she was such a major character in the first two films, and now in X-Men 3 she was basically just a whiny love interest. And then mm. this one They've decided to cut most of her stuff out, yeah. and it's like she was a she was a big reason that a lot of a lot of people in my age watched those first two movies and liked them because she was the younger character. She was the one that we kind of liked because she was only a teenager, and I, I don't know. It just kind of feels like they're missing out. You know, there's a big story yeah. to tell with Rose, and they're just missing out because they're focusing on Wolverine again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But mm-hmm. she's such a great character, and I think the idea of taking people's powers—there was so much more they could have done with that—and then she states, like, "Oh, no, don't want the men more." Bye.
1: Well, I'm, yeah, it's wasted opportunity. Well, I'm, that could sum up X Men Three as a whole, I suppose. And that obviously was one of the big thinking between behind the fact that they went right. Okay, we need to we need to rethink what we're doing, and that was the birth of First Class a few years later. Which for me. I think First Class was really good on the whole. I, I really liked First Class. Um, more than I actually expected I would, to be honest with you, because I was very dubious about not having, you know, all these characters played by, you know, Ian McKellen and, and you know, Halle Berry and all that. I know she's not in First Class, but you know what I mean? It's, it's oh, yes. Having a whole new X-Men. But it's, yeah... Because I always like Halle Berry for reasons that are probably quite base, but it was just like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but, she was great in Swordfish. Yeah, yes, she was very good in that. Very good. Um, two great reasons why she was good in Swordfish.
0: But <laughs> I just want to say I enjoyed her as Storm, but it may just be because you know that's what I grew up with. Yeah,
1: yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, but um, but no, first class. I mean, what do we make of that one? Yeah,
2: I
0: thought he's really good. Yeah, I thought it was really good as well.
2: <laughs> Except for, um Michael Fassbender's last 30 minutes where he decides he does want to do a German accent, he <laughs> turns
1: Irish. That's true, that is true, but, actually.
2: But then, uh, in comic books, he does, Magneto has been, has morphed between gypsy and Jewish around them, so I suppose in their way they are saying there might be a bit of Irish in some way <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um, I think First Class definitely gets bonus points for kind of introducing Jennifer Lawrence to the mainstream. Yes, definitely, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that was like the first one I saw her in, and I think that she's a really well-cast Mystique, and that's why I'm so excited that her role in Days of Future Past has been expanded. I think the younger cast they brought in for that, like I really enjoyed the fact that they used Havoc and they use Banshee. I mean, they, they aren't exactly... A-list X-Men, but they brought them in, and I really liked what they did with them, and I just kind of wished that those, you know, those secondary players from First Class were in Days of Future Past, but it's already so crowded. Uh, Actually, Hubbard is, apparently. Oh, yeah, no, he's... But not much, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be room for much for any characters to do, apart from the main ones, but... All three. Hopefully. (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but hopefully by the time Apocalypse rolls around in 2017 or whenever that is you know they'll kind of they'll do a, a like a real sequel to First Class and Moira McTaggart where does her character go that's what I want to know why is she not in Dead of the Future Past? I feel bad for saying this Tom the Hugh Jackman's already been confirmed
2: for <laughs> 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 its name they're shooting it back to back with all yeah. three. Uh, this is apparently I mean they haven't confirmed it yet but I think uh,
1: I think what you're going to find with Days of Future Past, and I think the big, the big factor is, as I say, they're, they're doing it partly to retcon X-Men 3 out of existence. But another big reason, I think, is so they can, they can have one continuity and they can just keep everything and build everything to a point where they could potentially introduce an X-Men saga that builds up to the present day and goes on and reintroduces Rogue and all of these characters, potentially... And, and maybe even do the stories right. It could even be that you get a new Wolverine one day. Hugh Jackman, I don't think, will do more after these next two. No. Um, I think that will be it for him. And then, so, I I think the whole process of it... I think, Tom, you will get in Apocalypse. I think you will get more of McTaggart. I think you will. I mean, Gambit's supposed to be in it. Channing Tatum's supposed to be in that, possibly. Yes. As, you know, so yes. it's, you will get all this new this new group evolve around it. And I, I, for for me, even though I I really like what they did with the first few X-Men films in general, as a whole, I think this reboot in, in a sense, this, this Trek style, you know, new timeline, I think it will birth something even better. I really do in the long run. Unfortunately guys, much like last week with the Godzilla episode, the ending of my conversation with Ian and Tom had to be cut out due to bad reception on the Skype line which you probably heard just starting to trickle in actually in that last moment I was talking. So unfortunately we were almost at the end anyway but I just want to thank Ian and Tom for both coming on and talking so well about Marvel and without further ado let's get on with the biggie. It's time to review X-Men Days of Future Past. So many battles waged over the years.
2: And yet, none of them like this. Are we destined to destroy each other? Or can we change who we are and unite? Is the future truly set? We now find ourselves on the edge of extinction. You'll need to go into the past to end this war before it ever begins.
1: Okay, so X-Men Days of Future Past, as we talked about with Tom and Ian in the podcast, is a film that's been a long time, obviously, in the making, given... It's Brian Singer coming back to the franchise that he started 15 years ago in the year 2000 with X-Men and then went through to X2 with every intention of making a third film, even though at the time he didn't know what that third film was going to be, except obviously X2 set up the idea of the Dark Phoenix saga, which eventually was played out in X3, The Last Stand, only Brian Singer of course wasn't around for that to happen and Brett Ratner got his hands on it and made a poor film and that's being polite and to be honest hashed up a lot of what Singer had set up in those first two films so it took then the reboot of First Class especially after the critical derision that was aimed at X-Men Origins Wolverine in 2009 which again kind of hashed up certain things and had nothing weighty to it they then went in the new direction of First Class with Matthew Vaughan with Brian Singer producing in order to reboot the franchise to an extent and then the question was, well, what happens then? You know, you've got all these characters that we've seen now as young people. It works. You've got a really good cast. They've retooled certain relationships to fit, principally Mystique being as close to Professor X as she was Magneto in the original X-Men films, which was was not even hinted at in the, the, the original trilogy at all. And so there's a little bit of retconning going on. So what's the next step? You, logically, everyone imagined that you would take these characters... In the '60s, and do another movie. You know, Second Class I think was the uh, the title sort of being bandied about. But obviously, Brian Singer came back to do it. They went in the direction of making Days of Future Past, which is one of the most famous comics in the Marvel saga. Now, I'm not a comic book guy, as I said on this podcast, but I know enough to know about the big arcs and the big stories. And Days of Future Past, of course, is is this dystopian Terminator-esque story where there is there are these robotic creatures called the Sentinels in 10 or 15 years' time who were built to destroy mutants, to take out mutants, built by a fearful government who were afraid of what the mutants could do. And obviously that's the very core of the X-Men story. The allegories to all kinds of different you know wars across history between two different groups of people, one of whom is afraid of the other one, or is suspicious of the other one. In this case, it's humankind against mutants, against this evolution of of the human race into these people having all these amazing powers. And X Men has always been a parable for you know things like the Holocaust. I mean that that's the key thing with Magneto, obviously. You know that goes back to in, in his own personal backstory, the idea of the Holocaust. So there's a lot of underlying subtext with X-Men and, and Days of Future Past kind of crystallizes that idea. And the Sentinels ultimately turn not only on mutants but on humanity in the end. And they start to basically take control and they wipe out the world and they destroy most of the human race. And there's only a few mutants left in the future. So it's a cautionary tale in a way, you know, our own determination to destroy what we what we're afraid of is what destroys us. And in the comics, the big story was that Kitty Pride, here played by Ellen Page, is sent back in time. Her consciousness is sent back in time in order to stop the Sentinels from being created and, and coming about and having to convince a younger Professor X in order to do that. And the X-Men are back in the time. But now, of course, you've got the interesting idea with Days of Future Past is that you can retool that story and, and tie both these film sagas together. The original Brian Singer trilogy... With Patrick Stewart as the old Professor X and Ian McKellen as Magneto and Halle Berry and, and all these guys and obviously Hugh Jackman and you can tie it in with the original and you can tie it in with the the original younger characters. So you know James McAvoy as a young Charles Xavier, Michael Fassbender as the young Eric Lenscher Magneto, Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique. You know and all, and all these all these people back in the day and obviously because Kitty Pryde isn't a big character it's not her that ultimately goes back in time she she's she's one of the reasons that it's allowed to, it's able to happen but ultimately it's Wolverine who goes back in time because Hugh Jackman obviously Wolverine has been around and he's been looking the same for 100 150 years as X-Men origins did crystallise in that he was born in around like the early 18th 19th century so it makes very good narrative sense actually To send Wolverine back I mean the, the purists have been moaning about a couple of things You know A that it's not Kitty Pride, And B that again it makes Wolverine the lead And that's missing the point entirely You know I mean the, the big point obviously Is that Wolverine is, is the biggest character In, in the X-Men saga you, they, They've made a solo Two solo Wolverine films Now and the second film The Wolverine that preceded this Was, was really quite good And it was, it was quite a hit and there will be another Wolverine film in a couple of years, so there's no underestimating that these films are missing something when Wolverine isn't in them. And and first class got away with it pretty much. You know, he didn't really need to be in that story, and he obviously he was memorably in a cameo. But having him as you know the, the catalyst for this going back in time is really quite clever because it highlights the fact that Wolverine isn't actually the lead at all in this, and that that's a big reason why Days of Future Past is really quite a good film. It's not about Wolverine. It's about Charles Xavier. Ultimately, this whole story is about him because Wolverine has to go back in time in order to convince Charles that, uh, of the of the threat of the in the in the 1970s now of this of the Sentinels who are being created by Peter Dinklage, who plays Bolivar Trask, who's the scientist who creates the Sentinels based on the you know fear of of the war to come. And there's a, there's a lot of war parable in this. You know, with the Vietnam, he's he's casting a spectre over everything the US is just coming out of that you know it's the Nixon administration so everything's very murky and shifty and it's a very different kind of film textually than First Class was. First Class kind of had that early 60s kind of hope about it even though it was the Cuban Missile Crisis and there was a lot of you know, Cold War tensions it also had that, and and it ended obviously on the the divisions and everything like that it also had that element of if not campness, then certain colourfulness, you know, it had that Bond-feel texture to it. This doesn't. This is much more, this is much more your, your political conspiracy thriller underneath, you know, your parallax view kind of thing going on. A bit, kind of a bit like what Captain America was tapping into, The Winter Soldier, but obviously that was in a contemporary sense. This is set in the 70s. You know, Charles Xavier, James McAvoy has long hair, <laughs> you know, now, and he's, he's a bit grungy and, one of the crucial things to this is that it, it's about the fact that that Xavier can walk because he has this suppressant that stops his mind powers working, and as a result, it means that he's let everything go to pot and he's he's lost his way. Basically, you know, this at the end of first class, of course, he'd set up the school for gifted young mutants and every, and he was he was on his way to be in the Professor X. We know he was in the wheelchair, everything like that. Now he's not. You know, he's only got Beast, Nicholas Holt with with him. And he obviously misses Mystique, and he's got a lot of things that he hasn't resolved. And Wolverine has to play the mentor. You like, you like in the original X Men films, it was Patrick Stewart who was the mentor to Wolverine. He was the one trying to help him understand his own past and, and take him forward. And now it's reversed. And that's one of the things that the old Professor X says to Wolverine. You know, you've got to guide me now because I was a very different man back then. So you've got you've got all that going on. And then it, it, the the film moves with Xavier's journey, in which he comes to understand his his role as as Wolverine convinces him, you know that there is this threat that these Sentinels are going to create this dark future, and that obviously ties into Magneto and 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 the the story unfolds from there. The crucial thing with with Days of Future Past is this: a lot of people have been talking it up as being, you know, the greatest comic book movie of years. It's not. It's it's a, it's a very good one, and I I am yet to be one hundred percent sure if it's the best X Men film. I don't know. X two will take some beating. Now I've actually watched the X Men films back, as I as I commented in, earlier in this podcast. I wasn't sure that I loved I loved X Men too, and I, and I had a lot going. But I've since realised the error of my ways there, in that it is a genuinely good, really good film. Whether this is better than that, it will take some time. It will take a few viewings to you know to spit, bed in. It's perhaps certainly as good. It's a very different film, and what it's doing is it's it's retooling the whole franchise. But it can't make everything sync up. You know, one of, the, one of the big things with X-Men is the continuity is all to cock. You know, it's nothing like the Marvel Universe where everything is pretty much in sync and they have tracked it very carefully. This is one where everything is just this morass of alternate timelines. And that's right. it felt very Terminator at times. You know, the whole dark future, which is very well done, of the Sentinels and this war where they're they're basically losing and they're all about to be wiped out and it's very grim and dour. And then you've got the... The central you know more colorfulness of the past in a way and it's it has that very foreboding feel to it and you really get the sense that not the, these these timelines aren't quite the same thing and and ultimately that that's what that's what is revealed without t- spoiling too much that x-men the x-men universe effectively works on multiple realities and multiple timelines and i remember the uh, I, as 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 the ending came along that i was with a friend and she she had no real idea what, what, well she kind of did but she kind of didn't understand how it kind of worked out at the end and I've had to since think it through and I've read some articles and things like that and it, it kind of does make sense but it does have that certain time travel logic in that it doesn't make any sense at all in a way but it kind of clears the board, it clears the board it's Brian Singer clearing the board so they can move on into the already announced X-Men Apocalypse, the next film with the original cast, with, with this new cast, the original earlier versions of the characters, and they can move on and go forward with it. And by and large, it feels like a, trans, a transitory film, but it but a good one, and they're telling a good, solid story. You know, sweeping out the old, bringing in the new. You know, not not everything quite works. In that it, there are times when it does drag. There's a lot of scenes on on airplanes where they're kind of flying from one place to another and it does kind of go round itself a little bit sometimes, trying to set certain things in motion. Jennifer Lawrence oddly enough, even though she's extremely crucial to the story, Mystique is a very crucial part of the whole idea she oddly enough doesn't seem to get a massive amount to do, and it's, and it's strange. There is character development for her, but it's, it doesn't seem to quite work It, it she, she flips in and out of things and it's not it doesn't quite coalesce in the right way unfortunately, but She's still very important and she still plays Mystique very well. Michael Fassbender, I would say he's on a par with McAvoy. You know, people will say Fassbender steals the show. He's obviously great as Magneto and he sorted out the wobbly accent problem of the first film. that He sounded Irish after the time. You know, he doesn't have that anymore. But McAvoy really is he's really good as Xavier. He's better than last time, in fact. And he really charts the course of this man you know it it's so it, it's got that it's got those good performances but there are characters that get lost in the in the mix especially the the earlier characters like you know Storm and Iceman and and Kitty Pride and the fact Rogue he's he's hardly there and there's there a lot of those guys in the future especially don't get really that much to do there are smaller roles as well for Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen but what they do get is great and they they do have a couple of really nice scenes together that, and it suffice to say it will be the last time we see them in the roles really without giving too much away so it was a nice swan song for them really but there are a lot of characters there are a lot of characters and not all of them get their day in the sun really but but the script tries the script does try to service everybody and it's well done You know, it does have a lot of texture to it it does have a lot of depth it has some really really good sequences I mean one of, one of the characters that steals the show is Quicksilver and there'll be a lot of talk about him because he's going to have a bigger part in the next one and he comes in, and, and there's a, probably the standout scene of the film. is, is a prison break where he, he just has so much fun with that. And he's he's only in it for about ten fifteen minutes, but he almost steals the film. Actually, you know, there, there, there is there is there are some really nice sequences, and it, so overall, it, it, it is a very it is a very good film. It's a very good comic book film, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I think I don't know if it will fully stand the test of time. I don't know if it can be called the best X-Men film but it's certainly up there It's if it's not the best it's the second best and it's got a lot of it, you, you and you will probably need to see it a couple of times really to let it all soak in even though it has a lot of plot holes a lot of continuity problems and, but it, it it can't help that because that's the nature of this franchise so if you can look all past all that and you can just enjoy it for the ride it is and enjoy the characters and enjoy the, yeah, a pretty decent script you'll, you, you will get something out of it you really will and I urge you to stay to the very end of the credits because there is a final scene in that that will blow your mind. (laughs) Because it sets up, without giving too much away, it sets up the next film, kind of. And it kind of hints towards where where that's going and it's a really, really, really cool moment that had me in paroxysms of, of, of geek glee. So please, please stick about and watch that on the big screen. But yeah, thankfully, Days of Future Past is one of the better blockbusters this year so far, and it's not a classic, but it does its job, it does a very tricky job pretty damn well.
2: There is a new enemy out there. You'll need a new weapon for this war. Everything that happens now... is in your hands.
1: So that brings us to the end of this Marvel Black Hole Cinema special. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed me and the boys rambling about all things marvellous and the review of X-Men Days of Future Past which I, as I say I do recommend I think you should go and see it check it out for yourself make your own mind up I'll be back next week for a more traditional episode we've had two specials on the bounce now but uh, it's back to the uh, normal ones just for a bit there are a few more specials to come soon I've got a couple of things in the works but beyond that then it's just business as usual there'll be reviews next week of some of the new films that are out so until then you can find us as usual on Twitter at Black Hole Cinema on Facebook if you type in Black Hole Cinema and at the home of our hosts www.bznetwork.co.uk for lots of fiction based goodness so please do go over so what you think about the show let me know what you think if it's any good if it's not the usual you know you know how this works by now if you're a listener Please do feedback, it's always really welcome. In which case, I'll say goodbye, have a great week, whatever you're doing. I'm on half term, I'm on holiday, so I'm going to be watching as many films as I can around everything else. And I hope whatever you watch and whatever you do, you have a good one.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or Mc Sandwich.